Thank you for joining us for the 100th episode of Legacy Battle. Be sure to stick around after the show and our panelists will share their favorite moments and we'll look back at all our prior guests. Make sure you hit like and subscribe and join us for the next 100. Enjoy the show. is legacy bow make sure you hit like or subscribe on whatever you're listening on and welcome to the 100th episode of legacy battle brian do you ever think we get this far no no i'm surprised we uh even got past 10 <laughs> yeah we're, we're heading on year three here in a, in a few months but uh we got a great show for you tonight as i said hit that like and subscribe on youtube iHeartRadio, spotify amazon uh, Apple, whatever you're watching, listening on, hit that, hit those buttons. So I'm Michael Adams, Craig, with Legacy Battle, my panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, from uh, Ball State athlete Paul Havocott, and we're joined here by a special guest tonight. She's uh, she started in movies like The Phantom, Higher Learning, Big Daddy, The Program, which we're going to discuss later on tonight. Uh, what If, which is a movie I personally love, my wife and I really enjoyed that film. Um, and of course, she was Buffy and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the, the movie um, that was a huge hit back in the day. And she's guest starred on TV shows like Knott's Landing, Growing Pains, Law and Order, Psych, Sons of Thunder, many, many more. She's been nominated for numerous awards. We got the very talented. She's been a producer, actress, Christy Swanson here. Christy, thank you for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for the nice introduction. That was so sweet. <laughs> we're we're really you. happy to have you here. And if you're watching, uh-huh. you're a big if you're watching and you're a big fan of Christy, make sure you check out episode 99. We had her husband, Lloyd Eisler, who is a, a Olympic medalist from Canada. And we, we discussed uh, his career and, and, and his figure skating career, and as well as how him and Christy met. So be sure to check that out in our archives. Tonight's debate is going to be the greatest football film in the drama category. And this being our 100th episode, we're going to have a lot of trivia questions tonight uh, for prizes. So if you're a member of the Facebook page, if you haven't, hit like on Facebook page. Put in the answer in the comments section of where this show is posted on there. And we'll get a prize mailed out to you if you're the first ones to get it right. So that first trivia question actually involves Christy tonight. And it's going to be Christy. So I don't get to play the trivia part? (laughs) Christy Swanson. Start it. Okay. Started a film three times with this Hollywood Wild Thing. Name the star, the three films, and the two films of his discussed on Legacy Battle episodes with D.B. Sweeney and Megan Cavanaugh. So throw that in the comments section on the Facebook page. We'll get your prize mailed out to you. So we're going to start our debate, and I just want to point out to my father, who's at home watching, who's going to say, I love Brian Piccolo. Brian's song was not a theatrical release. It was a made-for-TV film only, so it's not available for our list tonight. Ah, okay. Oh. Right. Interesting. So let's move into our first film. That's actually going to be Rudy. Okay, I'm handling Rudy. It's a 93 film, 1993 film by David Anspa, who's directed. He also directed Hoosiers in the 80s, so he's he's got the uh, 
knack for feel-good sports movies. Uh, it was a $12 million budget for this movie, $22.8 million at the box office, starring Sean Astin, Ned Beatty, uh, Charles Dutton, Lily Taylor, and Robert Prosky. So we got a dyslexic Rudy Rudiger from a blue-collar family. Dad worked three jobs, and he was one of 14 kids in a Catholic family in Juliet, Illinois. So um, we're obviously not doing a lot of birth control or something in, in the family, but he's got a big family here. It's, it's, it's a dreamer's story. The soundtrack on this uh, movie, you cannot, you cannot fall asleep during the soundtrack. If you want to get things done, if you want to get motivated, you got to listen to the soundtrack. So he's got it in his head that he's going to play football for Notre Dame. And you see this kid, he's rehearsing the coach's speech in front of his friends and carrying on. And so, Anywho, one of the quotes of the movie is five feet, nothing, 100 and nothing, hardly a speck of athletic talent, ability, Rudy, Rudiger. And so he can't initially get into Notre Dame. So he's doing some uh, some studies at Holy Cross, which is across the street, the lesser school. And he eventually gets into Notre Dame after a lot of hard work in 74. And he's he's still grinding it out, you know, because that's what Rudy does. He's He's sleeping in a cot in the groundskeeper's room. He's... He's just grinding out practice. He's studying to make grades. You know, watching it, you, everybody else feels like they're not doing enough because this kid's constantly hustling. So but here we are. Rudy's on the team. He's grinding it out again. And in uh, 1975 against Georgia Tech, he runs through the tunnel. You see number 45. They're running through the tunnel. That soundtrack's blaring. There's 60,000 people in the stands yelling. Uh, you know, they had to win that game to get into a bowl game, I think, were the, were the stakes on that. So the students find out about this Rudy kid from a newspaper article and the movie starts showing these, these players are chanting Rudy, Rudy, you know, and himself, he says to himself, the players are saying, put him in. And coach says, get in there. But Rudy says, no, because I'm a defensive player, but Notre Dame scores. So Rudy gets in there and in the huddle, Rudy, you know, he, this is him saying this. He lines up and with five seconds, uh, you know, the crowd chant Rudy, Rudy's there. He goes in and makes a tackle and boom. You know, they're carrying him off the field. It's people are crying, there's chills and everything like that. So, so what well, the groundskeeper, I think, you know, on a side note, underrated, you know, he's, he should also kind of be viewed as inspiration. He's the one that kind of kept Rudy going. But one of his quotes are saying, uh, having dreams is what makes life tolerable. So, you know, groundskeeper is an inspiration. Rudy's an inspiration, kind of a layered film, a lot of inspiration here. And the movie kind of, I think at the end it says, since 1975, no other Notre Dame player was carried off the field. So that's the movie, Rudy. Um, I think that's going to be the winner here. A, a lot of young actors in that, too, went on the big careers. Vince Vaughn, John Favreau, of course, does The Mandalorian now. Uh, he's just absolutely huge in Hollywood. Chrissy, you said you've seen this film. Uh, you know, What are your thoughts on it? It's a feel-good film. If you don't walk out of the theater feeling good about yourself, then you're Probably don't have much of a heartbeat on this one. I love Rudy. Um, I love Sean Astin. He's a friend of mine. Uh, I worked with his dad, John, and um, and I've just known him for many years. And so that movie is just incredibly special. I mean, it's a tearjerker. Um, I remember I was making a movie in South Bend, and uh, – and the, the coach of the basketball team at Notre Dame invited me to go on a tour, like a VIP tour through the whole Notre Dame school. And I got to do that. And then I brought my son back there 
and he got to see Compton Ice Arena and he got to go, you know, uh, see where the football is and, 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 and all their locker rooms and everything and the plaques and things and things that they have for Rudy there as well. And so that was really special because my son really likes the movie. So it was really cool. I mean, you can't go wrong with Rudy. It just, you know, it just, it puts a smile on your face and it's an incredibly emotional film. Absolutely incredible. Right. Let me ask you real quick on this film because uh, there's some historical inaccuracies, let's say. Uh, the oh. players did not lay their jerseys down on the coach's desk. That's inaccurate. Just the captain went up and said, give her my spot. And uh, Coach Devine, who's kind of made out to be the villain in this movie, he was the one who came up with the idea of having Rudy play. So, I mean, total Hollywooded up. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on those changes as far as uh, – football is concerned uh, does it does it change anything about the story in your opinion well it didn't affect me watching it because I didn't know those little tidbits um didn't even think about it at the time lots of times I do notice things like that you know that are continuity problems or something that doesn't make sense but uh I didn't you know I don't know that you know it's based when they say based on a true story it's based on a true story so uh, you got to kind of take it for what it's worth in that regard. Uh, there are some things that you, you know, you could like, you take a novel, for instance, and then you make it into a, a one and a half hour movie. It's really hard to put absolutely everything into it. You know, it's, there's always going to be some things that are taken out or changed or whatever to help um, drive the movie and make it so that it's, under a certain amount of time, you know what I mean? So um, there's things like that. Then there's things like where they'll test a movie in the theater and maybe the audience didn't like this or like that. And so then they realize they need to make some changes and they'll like do a little re-edit. So there's also so many factors that go into movie making, you know? Let's so. move on to our second film. It's going to be The Program. Filmed in 1993. You can see a picture of it behind me here. Budget was oh my. 20 million, so not a lot of money, but I guess back in that time that was more than what it is today, of course. So it made 23 million. 1993. So how many how many years ago was that now? 30. Uh, almost 30. Almost oh. 30. <laughs> wow. wow. Okay. You don't you don't look at you don't look any different. You still look amazing. So. <laughs> it's so crazy. Okay. So yeah, it made 23 million. Uh, we can't measure it on what it made though. This movie was actually pulled from almost all the movie theaters because of a scene that has now been cut uh, where the, the, the quarterback and some players were laying down in the middle of a highway while cars were going by. And I remember that this was actually pulled from the movie theater where I grew up before I could even get to go see it. And being in 1993, my parents would probably not have taken me to that film anyways, because it was rated R, but uh uh, so we can't base it off the money, but uh, that scene, it's not even on the DVDs because I wanted to rewatch it. And I, I rented the DVD a couple weeks ago. So directed by David Ward, who also went on to direct Major League, starring the late, great James Caan, um, <laughs> yeah. an amazing actor, Halle Berry, Omar Epps, Craig Sheffer, Christy Swanson, Joey Lauren Adams, and uh, Andrew Bernarski, who's done quite a few football films uh, himself. Big, big man. Um, 
just a little synopsis of the film. ESU, it's a fictional college. They're called the Timberwolves. Two straight non-bowl game seasons. They haven't made it. Coach is under pressure to win or he's going to lose his job. Uh, Sheffer, who plays quarterback Joe Kane, is uh, a Heisman Trophy candidate. He can't live up to the pressure um, and the publicity that's coming with it. So yep. this, this movie shows us the real struggles of uh, and pressures of, you know, being a college athlete, trying to compete, um, and all that you're going to do to be the best. A lot of ways it's similar to Brian's film that he's going to do next. Uh, Brian's is the NFL, mine's college. But And I thought Christy and Halle Berry, they, they, their characters did a, a really fantastic job of dealing with the, the stresses and lives of their, their boyfriends in this film because they're the ones that, you know, are not on the field. So they're off the field. They're the ones hearing everything that's going on and having to deal with, with the emotional output that comes with it. So, um, but in my, my overall opinion, this movie was just stolen by, by Craig Schaefer. I think he went on to be in One Tree Hill later on in life. I might be wrong about that, but so as I said, he was quarterback Joe Kane. He was amazing. He was in, in a river game. runs through it before that. River runs yeah. Through it. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think that the realities of this film, the college test cheating, the steroids, the alcohol abuse, treatment of women on campus, oh my goodness, and, and boosters money, you know, calling the shots on who coaches and giving players money, uh, and just the, the stresses of being a college student athlete, they're all nailed in this film perfectly. Uh, we get cameos from Lynn Swan, Bo Schembechler, and Chris Berman from the NFL world. So, Christy, th- this was your film. Just just tell us a little bit about it, you know, filming it and, and, and your thoughts on how it turned out. Uh, well, you're, you, uh, it's interesting that you brought up all the corruption. And it's interesting that, you know, a movie could get made with exposing that much corruption and it not be a documentary, right? right. Um, but there's a lot of truth to it, you know, because college ball is also, it's on TV. I mean, it's a big money thing. So uh, I think that they were just bringing to light all of those, you know, situations and um, and uh, issues and problems and uh, and all the adversities that kids that age, you know, do face. And I think with Halle Berry's character, you know, she was more on the educational administration side of understanding the pressures and then my character Camille was uh, an athlete as well so she had that in common with Joe but she's in a single man sport you know being a tennis player a lot different than you know being a team player but still understanding injury understanding pressure understanding anger understanding you know everything that that goes along with um being an athlete and, um, and, you know, you have your desires and your dreams and you want to be the best. Uh, but, you know, you go through a lot of changes, especially when you, you know, hit college. And so uh, I really enjoyed making the movie. I thought David S. Ward did an incredible job because it's almost next to impossible to, and I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I've always felt this way. When you make a movie about a sport in a fictional, like it's it's a script and you have to have actors playing that sport or, you know what I mean? And you're doing this, like this particular one, football. It's not easy to make a football movie at all. It is almost next to impossible because you, 
you have to use so many doubles. You have to use so many players. You have to use um, your 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 actors have to be ready, you know, to be able to look like they play that they are that athlete, you know. So you you've seen a lot of movies where you're just like, no, I don't buy this. There's no way this guy's an athlete, you know, or he's a football player, or she's a figure skater, or he's a whatever. So it's just um, I was just really impressed with the uh, production value that they put into the movie. And I think that's why it's so popular. I think that's why a lot of people really liked the movie and the flow of the storyline and how it kind of showed different stories. I love Dwayne Davis's storyline. You know, uh, I'm blanking on his character's name. Uh, He's the one busted his knee up. Um, His son now plays in the NFL. Um, uh, Willie Davis's grandson. Oh gosh, I'm blanking. Anyway, um, but I mean, there's just so many great things about making the movie. And also with me, this is the funniest story of all time. Uh, (laughs) this one made me laugh so hard. Um, I was on the set, I was uh, shooting a, a scene where I was just out on the tennis court hitting, hitting the, the ball back and forth. And, um, uh, Joe had, we had broken up and I was just upset and off by myself, just hitting the ball at, at the tennis court. And uh, we were in between takes and, um, you know, like I grew up, I, I, my mom's from Pittsburgh and I grew up in the seventies. And so my uncles, my aunts, everybody, they're all Steelers fans. Right. So I grew up a Steelers fan. And, um, anyway, so I'm on, on the set, just, shooting and 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 then there we're taking a break or whatever and this really good looking man comes walking up to me and uh and he goes hey is your name swanee and i said yeah my name's swanee because that's what everybody calls me by my nickname right and so he goes well that's really weird i'm here for a wardrobe um costuming uh, meeting and I hear them calling we need Swanee on the set we need Swanee on the set and I go oh and I realize it's Lynn Swan is talking to me and he has the same nickname as me and he's like I never met another Swanee before and I go I'm, oh my god you're Lynn Swan can I take a picture it was so funny oh my god it was really I couldn't believe it <laughs> he says I've never met another Swanee before so it was funny and I, I don't recall any scenes where you were with uh, James Caan, but did you did you get to speak with him at all? Just a fantastic actor, you know. God rest his soul, of course. Oh yeah, I mean it's so sad that uh, he's not with us anymore. But my God, what an incredible guy! Like I loved working with Jimmy Caan. He was just oh, he was just so classy and so fun and so cool. You could just sit around, you know, shoot the shit with him and laugh. And he just was, you know, he was just a, a, a really cool dude. Awesome. Yeah. Before we move on our final film, here's another trivia question. As we said earlier, put it in that comment section. Steelers great LaVon Kirkland picked this player on Legacy Battle's top five linebacker, Steeler linebackers episode as his pick for the top five. Throw that in the comments section. We'll get your prize mailed out. Let's move on to our final film. Brian, go ahead. All right. I got Any Given Sunday. came out in 1999. It had a 
$55 million budget and uh, did $100 million at the box office. So very successful. Uh, directed by Oliver Stone, uh, you know, the legendary uh, you know, director, producer. Um, it was his only sports movie. So it's sort of a really unique uh, angle, a unique take on, on the sports world. Um, it had a great cast. You had Al Pacino, Cameron Diaz, Dennis Quaid, Jamie Foxx, James Woods, LL Cool J, and Charleston Heston. Um, and the cast included uh, two all-time NFL greats. You had uh, Jim Brown and Lawrence Taylor. Also cameos by some other big-name stars, Dick Buckus, Y.A. Tittle, Ricky Waters, Terrell Owens, Johnny Unitas, Warren Moon, Pat Toomey, uh, Emmett Smith, and the Super Bowl-winning head coach Barry Switzer. So one thing that wow. jumped out uh, right away about this movie was the camera work and the sound effects. Um, there was no shortage of up-close action shots, which I thought, thought really put you on the field and really gave the viewer a, a true sense and appreciation for the violent nature of the game. Um, Al Pacino, he's the head coach of my of the Miami Sharks. Cameron Diaz is the team owner uh, who took over for her recently deceased father. And Dennis Quaid is the starting quarterback. Uh, the Sharks are struggling, to, and then to make matters worse, um, the starting quarterback gets injured. Uh, he's going to be out for the foreseeable future. The backup stinks, and he gets injured. Uh, so then the Sharks have to turn to Willie Beeman, uh, played by Jimmy Fox. Uh, Beeman's a really interesting character. You know, he's very humble at the beginning, and then as he finds success, he gains great confidence, and he gives himself the nickname Steeman Beeman. Uh, he starts getting wildly popular and just becomes an overnight sensation. He's doing commercials. He's he's just the man. Uh, he's also interesting because of what he represents. Um, in 1999, when the film came out, you know, black quarterbacks were beginning to make an impact in the NFL, but they were still not respected, uh, you know, at the level that they are today. Uh, so Beeman's character reflected that. And there's a racial equality element, um, you know, in the movie and, and in the uh, dialogue of the script. Uh, but ultimately, what this film is best known for is Al Pacino's inches speech uh, in the locker room before the team's playoff game. Uh, in it, he acknowledges that, you know, he's far from perfect. He's a middle-aged man. Uh, he can't physically do what he's asking his team to do. But all he can do is ask them to just give all that they have. Um, and here's a little bit from the inch from the inches speech. He says, the inches we need are everywhere around us. They are in every break of the game, every minute, every second. On this team, we fight for that inch. On this team, we, tell, we tear ourselves and everyone around us to pieces for that inch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's going to make the difference between winning and losing, between living and dying. It's a very powerful message there, just about giving everything that you got for the team. And I just think that was this was just a really great film all the way around. Hey, Brian, uh, Dennis Quaid, he was playing the older quarterback. Did you get, like, a Dan Marino vibe type? Like, maybe he was kind of playing Dan Marino at all? At yeah, yeah, I, see that. I mean, it was the Miami Seahawks as well, so it was, yeah. you know, you had that going. But, yeah, yeah, it did kind of seem that way. And, and Marino was – in his final season in 99, if I recall correctly, or maybe 2000. So, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Christy, I don't know. Have you ever worked up with Oliver Stone at all? His films are I've really met out Oliver, I've met Oliver Stone, um, but, no, we have not worked together. Okay. 
Yeah, his, his films are they they always have a, a little bit of controversy to them. I, I've noticed tricky years. Oh yeah, that. I mean he's a he's a brilliant filmmaker. I mean you know he's super talented. Really cool. So Brian mentioned uh, all star cast. Uh, Al Pacino, like on the top right there. Um, just hearing what what he had said, like um, you know, what would be an expectation uh, maybe for you seeing this film for the first time, hearing that list of actors. Um, now I now that I've heard like the plot, the story, and and visually how it was so cool and everything, how he described it all. I, now I want to see it really badly. So I'm going to ask my son if we could watch it maybe this weekend or something. So, Excellent. yeah. So let's, uh, let's move into our vote here. And, and uh, we have a smaller group of panelists tonight. So you can vote for your own film tonight if you so choose. Paul, you're, you're in my upper corner. So uh, you can start us out. Who are you picking? So you're saying we can vote for our own, huh? That's a you new. That's can. A, yeah. Well, I mean, I'd be crazy not to go with Rudy. I mean, he's such a, it's a, you know, it's such an inspiration. Your guys' films are full of violence and, uh, you know, and just laying on railroad tracks, bashing out windows because you didn't make the team, stuff like that. And Brian, I was going to vote for you, but you didn't do the Pacino voice. You got to go, uh, interest, we need. I mean, you got to do it all in Pacino's <laughs> voice. And you just, oh, like, no. It doesn't sound right. Oh, man. <laughs> it doesn't sound right when you do it normally. That's true. That's true. But Brian, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to vote for Rudy, but now Paul's made me mad. <laughs> now I'm just kidding. I'm, I got to go with Rudy. Rudy was, uh, that was, um, just very inspirational. Even it, it was like, you know, it wasn't like winning the championship or winning, you know, some big game or whatever. It was just one little, one little routine football play. You know, that everything kind of led up to. And I, and I think that was cool because it's sort of like, it kind of gives hope for like the, you know, the little guy, the guy that's not all that talented, the guy that's not, you know, like that was the measure of his dream. He knew he was never going to be a Super Bowl MVP or he was never going to be a, he was never going to hold a national championship title or a Heisman Trophy or nothing like that. But he, he had his one little moment, uh, that he strove for. And I thought that was really cool. I agree. Shout- the underdog and the mm. Cinderella story. Right, right. Shout out to Remember the Titans as well that just, you know, missed our list tonight here. But, uh, well, for my vote, like, Brian, like, yours and I's film, I said earlier, like, they're, they're, they're almost the same film, just the difference between college and NFL. Yeah. And they have such a different tone than what Rudy gives us. Rudy is inspirational, whereas any given Sunday and, and the program are movies that are making it like, Oh my goodness, is, is that what really happens type films, you know? So right. T- total different kind of drama, uh, than what we get from Rudy. And Paul, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the vote tonight, uh, for Rudy from me too as well, uh, cause I like walking out of the theater feeling good. I don't, um, I, I don't see anything negative about that movie other than a few changes that were historically inaccurate. It was a very well put together film. Christy, of the, 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 the ones we discussed tonight, uh, what was your favorite? I would say Rudy. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So four yeah. votes for Rudy. Paul with a win. Good job. We're going to move isn't into there our another, Isn't there another football movie that just came out about um, – mm, there was one, another one that came out about a quarterback 
or the Rams quarterback. Kurt uh, Warner. The yeah, Kurt, Kurt Warner. Kurt, yeah. yeah. That Did was, that come out recently? Yeah, that was yeah, uh, last Christmas that came out. Yeah. yeah. The American. That was inspirational. American Underdog. Yeah, that right? I would love American to see Underdog. that story. Yeah. yeah, that was a good story. Yeah. That was actually an honorable mention when we did the uh, we did faith based football films with uh, actress Aaron Bethay. So uh, that oh. was one of the honorable mentions there. So uh, check awesome. that out in the archive. That's wonderful. Well, a win for Paul tonight. We're going to move into our Q and A. I'm going to throw out another trivia question before Paul gets first question, followed by Brian and me. Uh, basketball Hall of Famer Rick Barry picked this team as the greatest dynasty on Legacy Battles NBA's Greatest Dynasty episode. Check that out in the archives. Put that answer in the comments section. Paul, go ahead. Well, I was looking at your resume, and I, I bet nobody really ever asked you about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I, I know you were just getting started <laughs> when you were on that set, but that turned into such a cult classic. I wonder if you had any good stories that the public may not be aware of from being on that set with uh, that cast and that story that seems oh, like it's still popular this day. Ah, well, I mean, I was 15 years old when I did that. Um, I, you know, I had met John Hughes um, for a role in his movie or whatever, and I guess he had this little part for me, and I got hired to do it. And they had gone on to film, I guess, in Chicago, and I got a phone call from him, and he says, hey, I got some good news and I have some bad news. And I said, oh, okay. He goes, well... I'll tell you the bad news first. He goes, the bad news is, is that I had to shoot your scene that I hired you for because of logistics, because we were shooting in Chicago and I really needed to do that particular scene in Chicago and you're in LA. So the good news is I wrote a, a new scene for you. So we're going to shoot it in LA at Paramount Studios. Uh, I've got an actor coming in. He's going to play the teacher. Um, and, uh, and you're going to love it. I'm going to send you over the, the dialogue. So I received the dialogue and I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to learn this? Oh my God. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, I, you know, desperately memorizing this thing and, uh, this, you know, it's just a, a, a lot of words and, uh, and we shot it and I just had such the, I had such a great time working with John Hughes. He was absolutely amazing and uh you know he made so many great movies and uh i just i loved working with him and he was funny you know like he goes hey what are you doing this weekend and i said i don't know nothing and he goes well we're reshooting the end of this movie i wrote called pretty in pink and i'd really like you to be in it and i was like okay and then i ended up in pretty in pink as well so you know he was just like he was just a chill dude you know like really cool so Chris, I yeah. want to talk about, I think it was your next movie was Flowers in the Attic. Um, that was disturbing, but also kind of delightful in a way because it was like this mystery unfolding and, and I couldn't predict what was going to happen as I was watching it, which I like that in a film because, you know, I don't like you, you start watching one, and you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen now. You know, this was like craziness unfolding here. So I want to ask you about. First off, you, there's that scene where you get your hair cut short. Did, did you actually get your hair cut, or was that like a wig or something? Or um, Oh, yeah, that that's – I mean, you can kind of see in the movie there's like uh, they do a they, – they cut to 
like her cutting a wig actually and then okay and yeah, then I the next thing that. you see is like yeah i was wearing a wig <laughs> okay yeah so then um i just want to ask like how is it a how are you able to sort of conjure that up uh those feelings up of like you know your mother is actually betraying you like trying you know, trying to kill you and and you know and then there was that final scene where you just kind of you know uh confronted her and everything and and we all know what happens after that but just yeah how are you able to just dig deep and, and pull those emotions out that was that was amazing yeah that was a dark that was a dark depressing film <laughs> i mean it's kind of like when you're doing those dark depressing films you're like oh god i wish it was on a comedy right now you know um i don't know you just uh uh gosh I mean, I was surrounded by such great actresses, so, you know, I had to step up my game. I was 16, and I and I learned a lot on that film, so it was, um, you know, it, 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 was, it was a great experience. I really loved it. I really loved it. I learned a lot. I'm going to take it to 1994. Um, I was going into high school. My, my brother, who's a little bit older than me, showed me a film called The Chase. And uh, <laughs> absolutely loved it. I, I'm not gonna lie; you were one of my my crushes in high school. There, of course. But uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about that film because I I really enjoyed it. And then you know, this Charlie Sheen. I, I don't know if this was before you know Charlie Sheen we see today. You know what we what were your thoughts on him? And, and uh, just tell me a little bit about that film. Um, well, I already knew Charlie going into that film because we had. Uh, we had a lot of mutual friends. We had also done uh, Hot Shots, the movie Hot Shots together. So we we kind of just knew each other through show business kind of thing. Um, and then Adam Rifkin, the director, was a friend, and he was a friend of Charlie as well, and, and all of the producers. So it was kind of like everybody kind of knew everybody anyway, just from showbiz kind of thing. So it was... Uh, it was fine. I mean, I, I <laughs> to be honest with you, I actually had an injury and was walking with a cane at that time. I had like a bursitis in my hip from doing indoor rock climbing. I had overstretched and I could barely walk. So the fact that I could be sitting in a car making a movie was like the greatest thing on the planet. Like you couldn't, I mean, it couldn't have been planned any better. So, um, so it was good that I could just be sitting in the car <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, having those scenes with Charlie. And we, I don't know, we were in Houston. It was hot. It was like August, July or August. And I felt bad for the camera crew. They were all out on the highway. And Charlie and I were in this nice air-conditioned car. <laughs> and, it, I mean, we had fun. Like, we laughed a lot. Um, sometimes we would just, like, use the car phone. You know, it was the big old car phones back then that are all hooked up to the car. And uh, one time we called his dad and we were like shooting shit with him. And, um, you know, it, we just, we had a good time. I had fun. I loved the whole cast. It was great. One more each, guys. Same order. I want to see what your reaction is when I mention a show called BL Striker. <laughs> I was yeah, a big fan of Burt Reynolds. I don't know. I don't know Burt Reynolds, obviously, but do, why do you think yeah. that didn't make it? Was it because each episode was two hours long? Um, 
I don't know, but when you say BL striker, I mean I get a big grin on my face because yeah. it just it just warms my heart. Uh, doing that show was just uh, such a great experience, and working with Bert was just incredible and amazing. And I was I'm so glad that I I got to see him. I don't know, I guess about a year before he had passed away. And uh, he's just a special man, you know, like he, when he saw something in you and he, and he connected with you um, as an actor, you know, because when you're acting with someone, you're like, you know, he's acting with me for the first time, but we're total strangers, right? So you have to trust each other. You have to listen to each other and play off of each other. So we had chemistry and he was so lovely and so sweet and uh I just I loved working with him I I mean if I could do it all over again I would and so, I don't know why it didn't go any further but I think there were uh it was a wheel right I don't know the I think I did good it was like a yeah. guy former veteran he was living on a boat drove a Cadillac I mean it sounds very you know Miami Vice like in some ways but yeah yeah, it was a great experience. And Tom Selleck was one of the producers on that, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, uh, Chris, you uh, obviously you met your uh, you met your husband on the, the Figure Skating Celebrity uh, Show. Can, can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? Oh, my God. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I, I did meet him there. I didn't know. I Like, even when I said I was going to do the show, uh, I don't know. My agent called me, said they're doing a skating show. And I'm like, well, what is it? I mean, I can skate sort of like forwards and backwards, but I can't do any jumps or tricks or do anything. Um, you know, I didn't compete or anything like that. My brother was a figure skater. And so, um, I called my brother up and I said, they're doing this show. I guess it's going to be like dancing with the stars, but it's called skating with celebrities. I don't know if it's ice dancing. I don't know if it's air skating. I don't know what the hell it is. And he goes, Oh, you should do it. You'll win. And I said, what? And he goes, Oh yeah. Christy, think about it. How many actors can like actually skate? And he gives them your, you'll be doing it enough that you'll just pick it up. You'll be fine. I went, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, and I just kind of like jumped in with my two feet and I, and I, got on this and I did the show and I was like okay here we go and there it was pair skating and and Lloyd was my partner thank god because he is like the biggest strongest and he made me look good you know so uh it was fun I loved 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 doing all the stunts because it was pairs you know so like the throws and the little jumps and the lifts and stuff like that I loved doing that it was the balletic sort of graceful ice skating part that I didn't like so much and uh performing in front of a live audience was very uncomfortable for me because I'm not used to it but um but I I I loved it it was I like doing I like doing all the lifts that was you know to me that was like doing stunts on a movie right right yeah I'm going to have to ask you about Buffy the Vampire Slayer because if we don't ask you about that your fans are probably going to go crazy so uh, is oh, that okay. what you're still most known for today? And, uh, you know, Luke Perry's in the film. And, and did they also, I was wondering, did they ask you at all to be part of the television show? Like maybe play a character in it at all? 
And, 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 you know, how do you think that movie turned out? It's definitely a cult film at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, the movie was, it, you could tell that it, you could pretty much tell that it was going to, so there was something special about it when you read it, you know, like the, the script. So I could see what Luke saw in it and what, why he liked it. The humor, the comedy, and everything was really good. Um, you know, we didn't do so great in the box office, uh, but it found its legs and it, you know, became like this rental and this cult classic and all those things. It's a great movie to do. I, I thank Luke to this day for going to bat for me. I mean, he, he visualized, he was like, you should be playing Buffy. Like, you have no idea. We were just friends. We had never worked together. And he was like, you're so perfect for this part. Oh my God, you have to go in. So I auditioned like seven times because they, you know, we're going to, there could be probably five to 10 girls in Hollywood that could play the role of Buffy. There could be 30 of them. I have no idea. But anyway, um, I had to kind of like, I guess, prove, prove myself. And so, uh, and so I, I did, and I, I had, I mean, it, it was a great experience working with, you know, Donald Sutherland and Rutger Hauer and, and Luke is just, you know, I, I miss him so much. We remain friends. I have a lot of friends still from that, from that film. Um, you know, I just, Buffy is, it's really funny, you know, I'm 53 years old and I'm still getting recognized for Buffy the Vampire Slayer when I was 23 or 22 years old. And so I can't complain. Uh, you know, it's flattering. <laughs> so. And, and have they asked you to be part of the TV show in any way? Oh, yeah, that question. Um, no, they did not. But, um, but I was never like offended by that or upset by that because I always thought it was awesome and amazing that there was this character, Buffy, that was a strong female role to be on TV every week for young girls to see and look up to. I thought that that was amazing. And I never thought, you know, I mean, it was seven years after the movie. So I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, why didn't they ask me to play Buffy? I mean, I was well into my thirties by the time, you know what I mean? So it didn't, they didn't bring anyone from the film onto the TV show. It was a whole new Buffy verse, you know, whatever kind of thing. So it, it didn't bother me at all. I was actually quite proud of it and, and, and I'm, I support the show a hundred percent. Well, our final trivia question tonight. Hockey great John LeClaire said the hockey rink he grew up playing on was surrounded by this. Uh, Legacy Battle's greatest Stanley Cup winners of the 2000s. Throw that in the comments section. So we want to thank Christy Swanson for coming on tonight. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And, and so be nice sure to meet you all. Be sure to thank your husband, too, for us. Uh, he really helped us out getting you on here, and, and I'll give him my appreciation on that. I'm sure I'm going to mess with you. Know, done with this, but. Okay. Awesome. Remind everybody, hit that like and subscribe button on whatever you listen on. We'll see everybody next time. Have a great night.
Uh, I think it's one of the most overrated movies of all time. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, it's I'm going uh, down today. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it doesn't hold up well at all. You know, I, I love Gary Cooper. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. But I find this to be a really corny, uh, hackneyed movie. And we all love the story of Lou Gehrig. But uh, the, the baseball is the worst of any movie we're talking about. I mean, Gary Cooper was such an unathletic guy that they actually had to flip the logo of the Yankees uniform. He batted right-handed and he ran to third base and then they flipped the negative over. <laughs> no and, way. <laughs> and he was still, he's still really bad. They have to show him from like the stadium distance to, for it to even be remotely believable. He has a really bad stunt double. So, I mean, you know, it is a different time and everything, but some of my favorite movies, I mean, Citizen Kane is from that same era and it holds up right, great right. to this day. So, um, you know, and I know that's not a fair comparison of baseball movie versus one of the greatest movies ever made. But I do think that this movie escapes along on an enormous amount of goodwill, which is not entirely earned. <laughs> well, I know you hit really, you swung the bat really well in your movie. I, I've seen it probably a hundred times, to be honest. But John Cusack did not swing the bat very well. Even when they were showing the one scene where he's just taking the warm-up swings, horrible swings. So I'm going to throw that out there just for my sake of argument. But yeah, Charlie, Charlie Sheen could play Charlie. Uh, oh yeah. They yeah, tried to yeah. actually build things. Charlie's character is not very important in the story, but he was a big star. So they kept trying to find ways to put him on screen. And uh, uh, so he, he was a good athlete and Michael Rooker uh, who played Chick Gandel, he, he's a tremendous athlete, but he's not a good baseball player, but he knew how to pretend. Well, you mentioned Charlie Sheen. I know Charlie, he's been quoted as saying that he actually juiced for major league to get his fastball up another 10 miles per hour so he was quite a good baseball player you know at least according to him in high school so um, he's pretty good he's he's no stranger to foreign substances either so uh the first part of your question when jerome fumbled we were in the state of shock we were so busy and you being a Steelers fan like you are, you remember we played the Colts early in the season, and it was Monday Night Football. They beat us like 26-3. to 3. It was horrible, right? We got embarrassed. We knew we knew we didn't play our best game, so we wanted a chance to, to see them again. And at that time, they were rolling. So Bill Cowher, and that was in the RCA Dome, right? It wasn't at the Lucas Oil where they currently play the RCA Dome. Bill Cowher in the locker room said, don't worry. In January, we're going to be right back in this same locker room. It's going to be a different outcome. We heard them. And we listened and we believed it. It was like, yeah, no question. So going back to that game, we had an extraordinary game plan. If you remember that game, how we started off offensively, it was all passes. Play action, taking shots, being aggressive. Not the norm, the normal offense that we showcased. Defensively, sending pressure. Sending pressure. They had no answer for us. So going to that last drive offensively, we, we were too busy talking so much trash to the fans because they helped us so much the first time we went there. We wanted some get back. So we're not even watching the game behind us. We're too busy talking crazy to their fans. They cussing us out. We going back and forth. Go home. Y'all season over. Because remember, that coach team, they were like 13 and 3. They were rolling. I mean, the Hall of Famers, you had Peyton, Edgerin, Marvin, eventually Reggie going to get in there. You had Jeff Saturday. You had Dallas Cobb. You had Freeney. You had Mathis. You had Brackets. You had Bob Sanders. I mean, you had some real guys, some go-getters on that team. So we just talking trash, and we just heard the crack. The, the fans went crazy. So when they went crazy, we like, why are they going crazy for, for us scoring? Because we thought we were going to score. We was on the goal line. We're like, they not stopping JB from not scoring. 
So we're like, man, they going crazy. Why they why they why they cheering for for our touchdown? So we having to look back. We see freak, freaking Nick Harper with the ball in his hand. So we go from what? Wait a minute. And then we're like, oh, get him, Ben, no, get him, get him. Ben gets him down. And now we got to go get our helmet. They're like, defense, defense, you up. No, so as we're taking off, you know, we're about to take off. And uh, all of a sudden, we hear a loud noise boom, in the back of the plane. So everybody's like, what, what's this? So we see one of the stewardesses laying in the uh, – and uh, in the hall uh, and the little uh, the hallway there that that goes between the seats, you know, she just passed out because she didn't eat. She was I don't know tired, didn't get much sleep, whatever, dehydrated. So she fell down. Trainer comes in the back. So I'm like, oh, I got an idea. I think I'm I'm gonna be a stewardess tonight. So I went in the back of the plane, and guys didn't know, you know. So Marty's like, yeah, it's like I got it. I got it. Shh just wait so i get in the back and i asked the other there was two uh stewardess so i'm like in the aisle she's in the aisle that's the word i was looking for so i was like do you have a do you have another apron it's like why i was like just i'll help you out she's like no no you go sit. no no please let me help you just just a little bit it'll be good and she's like well there's one uh, so as i go thank you so i grab the apron i get naked in the in the back there close the little curtain so I got butt naked. I just had the apron on. I tied it in the back. So obviously my butt is showing in the back. <laughs> the apron's about to my, my mid-knees, you know, uh, mid-thighs. Mid so anyways, I uh, so I grabbed, there's a cookie tray. So I grabbed a cookie tray and then I, I had the cookies. So I <laughs> I go and I, I open the curtain. So I start going the aisle. Hi guys, would you like a cookie tonight? We got chocolate chip, macadamia, and uh, tough to use. Hi, would you like a cookie? So I went all the way up in in in, uh, <laughs> in the aisle, almost to the media. I grabbed one of the cookies. I squeezed it between my butt cheeks too, to try to <laughs> make the guys laugh even more. So I had chocolate chip cookie on my butt, everywhere on my ass. Anyways, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I looked like I had uh, <laughs> anyways poop, but it it was just funny, guys. <laughs> So I guess Torts was in the bathroom. He heard the guys laughing, but he's like, "Was well, is that Andre again? Was is that?" And they're like, "Oh yeah." So they. You know, it was fun. Didn't know much about John uh, in the uh, off season of 2002. I had gotten released by Indy. Dungey got fired by Tampa, and we just kind of switched uh, jobs. Uh, Gruden met him at the uh, downtown Hooters uh, in Indianapolis at the uh, Combine, and I think it was in the paper the next day that uh, we met at Hooters, and I was looking to sign with Tampa Bay. But, uh, you know, John was fun, uh, great passion for the game. Back then, he was only like 38 or 39 years old, and, uh you know, everybody asked me about, you know, what was he like off the field? And I'm like, he's exactly what he is off the field as he is on the field. In the meeting rooms, he's got great uh, history of the game. He he loves the history of the game, whether it's a coach or whether it's a wide receiver. He coached in Green Bay or San Francisco, San Francisco, uh, and so forth. And um, he's a, exactly the same. He's got great passion uh, and just loves the game. And I think you saw that on what he did on Monday Night Football.
Uh, Barry Bonds, obviously, in my opinion, you know, taking away the steroid aspect of it all, probably one of the most dominant players there was in the game back then. And, um, and then Andy Van Slyke, you know, great ball player, hitter-wise. But, I mean, as far as the outfield was concerned, I mean, uh, he, he could run them down with anybody that you want to put out out there. I don't care who you're talking about, Willie Mays, Otis Nixon, you know, whoever you want to put out there, Marquise Grissom, uh, he was one of the best. And also throwing out guys at the plate or throwing out guys and uh, running the third or wherever he needed to throw the ball. I'm just thankful in 1992, the base hit wasn't hit out to him. It was hit out to Barry Bonds because if it was hit to Andy, I would have probably been out by about 30 feet. <laughs> Barry threw that Scott Norwood out there, field goal, like wide left or wide right or whatever. Now, now, let, now let's not get too, you know, Barry's throw <laughs> was not that bad, okay? I mean, you know, today's guys, I mean, it can hardly get the ball to second base for the most part. I mean, That's true. Barry's was a one-hopper yep. just up the line. And, uh, you know, so you got to give him a lot of credit too. But my speed took over in that instance, and I just – Blew past his ball. <laughs> <laughs> right, go ahead. Um, real quick, Sid, what inspired your slide in 1992, the one that's behind Michael right now? <laughs> what inspired my slide? Well, trying to be fast enough so I would have been out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, good grief. I mean, you know, again, going back to that, I've often said, I mean, I shouldn't have been on second base. I mean, Bobby Cox even to this day, said he had nobody to play first base. Well, that that wasn't the truth because Brian Hunter, he platooned with me, and he pinched hit that, that, that inning. And Francisco Cabrera that got the big hit, he also played first base. But our big, our big thing, if we were to tie that ball game up, was who was going to play second base because Mark Lemke was pinched hit four in the seventh inning, and then Rafael Belliard was pinched hit four in the ninth inning. And uh, so that we had nobody to play second base. And so a pitcher could have easily been out there at second base for me and uh, probably been into the dugout by the time I got to home plate. But uh, I was just able to make things exciting by doing that. And It was a great experience at Purdue. You know, uh, I came in as a receiver at Purdue. Um, and then I was switched on the first day, you know, have that offense when have the whole team offense stay in one area, defense go in another area. And I was a receiver, and I can still remember today our coach Ron Mims came and told about it was calling my name, Dishman, Dishman, let's go. Defense over here, and me being the arrogant person I was back then, and I'm a receiver, I'm catching footballs and I'm scoring touchdowns. I thought it was another Dishman. I didn't think he was talking about me. So I figured it was another Dishman somewhere around. And uh, he told me that I was on defense. And I was like, oh, well, I never, I don't want to play defense. I came here to play offense. And lo and behold, God worked in great ways that the only seat available was to sit. I sit by a guy named Rod Woodson. And uh, <laughs> the only seat was left because I was the last one in the room. I sit by a guy named Rod Woodson, and he looked, and he knew, he saw like a frustration in my face and in my body. He reached over and hit me, and like, man, you be all right. We be good. You be all right. And from that point on, uh, he showed me some ways of playing defensive back, and and the rest was history. I guess 
a lot of people smarter than I was. I wanted to play receivers and catch balls, and they said, no, you're going to make a career playing defensive back. Absolutely. The uh, Let's see. The one up top is my – we had a throwback night here in Texas. The jersey up to the right here is my high school jersey. Um, and then I've got a Steve Carlton in front of me here, but I only have so much room here. I've got another room upstairs and in a, in a game room upstairs. I'm full of my – most of my jerseys are, are Philly stuff, Philly jerseys. I got a chance to meet Mike Schmidt here in Arlington. Got a chance to hang out with Steve Carlton a couple nights up at Windstar in the casino here up in Oklahoma. So, I mean, I get a chance to see these guys, you know, guys I grew up watching and, and being able to be around them. And there's all kinds of stuff. I got all my baseballs and I collect. I just love collecting. So, I'm, I've always been a fan first when it comes to this stuff, even, you know, even playing. Same thing, go still see these guys, you know, footballs and all kinds of stuff. So, I just love collecting. I'll pass this along to my son. Uh, is, you know, and go along. So, I mean, it's, there's all kinds of this stuff. The vet right there, the picture of the vet, and then the last game at the vet. First game at the uh, Four State Center, which is now first game, whatever. I don't know what it is. It changes names every year. So, I, I'm always a big collector of this stuff. I love it. I don't do it to, to sell it. I do it just for this, the nostalgic part of it. I've always been been that been that guy. So, I mean, I've got a hockey stick back there. Pierre Turgeon signed stick. Uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Some bat. I got a, one of my baseball bats when I played in Cape Cod. Some Barnstable Bat Company. So sitting over there. So I mean, I've got all kinds of stuff. I just love collecting things. I'm just, I'm just that guy. But my wife won't let me put it in so many rooms in the house. So I've got a whole bunch <laughs> of stuff hanging up. So I played guys I played with, played against, um, had them sign jerseys just to, just to have them. I've got a, 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 a bat rack upstairs. You see that bat rack there? It holds one upstairs holds probably a hundred. Bats, guys I played with, Hall of Famers, and different stuff. So I've got a big, big rack of stuff that I like to just collect and, um, you know, the nostalgic part of it. Like I said, I just, I've always been a fan, regardless of what the sport is. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. It's great to see your collection and, and that you're a keeper of items. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. And the first Hall of Fame I ever went to was the Hockey Hall of Fame. We were up there in Buffalo playing a hockey tournament and we got a chance to go to Toronto. Nice, nice. So. Excellent. Um, I always, I always like, I always like the championships and the Bulls have the most. Thank you. I'm going to repay the favor. And they, they had the coach, uh, Phil Jackson that my Lakers had. I'm going to go with the Bulls. (laughs) Two, three Pete's. All right, Paul. So not just because I love Kevin, maybe a little bit too unhealthy, but I'm going with Kevin's version of the Lakers because the first time I saw Shaquille O'Neal on the movie Blue Chips, I was concerned. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be insane to guard. And I think Rick's got a good point, a great point, an obvious point when he says if they would have stuck together, who knows how many more they would have won because Shaq in his prime and Kobe, with with the way he could shoot, drive, he was like a – right out of the page of Michael Jordan. You know, anybody that said something negative about him, he used it as, as motivation. If those two could have worked it out, they could have won eight or nine championships. Who knows? Rick, you get the final vote. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously you guys all make some good points about all the different teams. As I said before, they're, they're the best of their particular time and trying to compare them and stuff is like trying to compare apples to oranges. But 
Uh, I would have to say, based upon the competition they had to play against, I would say the Showtime Lakers, you know, beat some unbelievably really other good teams. <laughs> and then, you know, hard not to go. And also because the, the, the Lakers and the Spurs kind of like negated each other during that period of time. Um, and and I agree with the thing about, you know, with Kobe and Shaq. And the thing is, they definitely would have won more championships if I could have convinced Shaq to shoot on the hand at free throws. Um, <laughs> I remember you saying that, but don't you think the Bulls would have won more if Jordan would have dabbled around with baseball? Oh, yeah. They, yeah. No, no, no. It's not. No, I, I, I'm telling you, I like your Bulls, too. Here's, But here's the thing. I don't think they beat as good a teams as the Lakers had to beat. That's that to me. That's the differentiation. Is that you won the titles, but who was your competition? But do you think and that as Lakers many stars as the Lakers had? They had yeah. Jordan and Scotty, but you know. The rest no, no, I understand they were a great team. And doing the same, the Lakers team was just unbelievably loaded with talent, and they won all those championships. And the talent that they had to beat, the other teams they had to beat. Uh, so to me, if I had was forced to take a vote and had to say one, which you know I don't like doing that kind of stuff, I the Showtime Lakers to me are the most impressive ones because of their competition and what they accomplished. But the Bulls team, obviously, as far as dominating, really being dominating, it's pretty hard to go you know against against that Chicago team. That's because Brian got a new haircut and his, so his team wins. Oh my God. Yeah, um, and 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 it's it's really crazy, man. You know, because I didn't uh, become clean till I was um, uh, well, uh, thirty-one, uh, twenty-nine, and it was I fought Tyson, I fought Holyfield, you know. I went out really bad, and I, I blew a show that I was supposed to do and with Angelo, a, a color commentary show. And Angelo, uh, I went, and Betty called me and said, I need to come over there right away. Angelo was mad. And I went up there, and he never looked at me, and he told me, Betty, he won't have nothing to do with me no more. He said, go get his files. There was a bank down here. I had to say deposit box. Get everything out. Leave him alone. Blah, blah. I don't want to have nothing else to do with him no more. He ain't never, he ain't say goodbye. <laughs> but uh, when he kicked me out of office, he didn't kick me out of office, you know. But I, he just said, Betty, take his belongings with him and tell him to go. And, and, and all this was right in front of me. And I went to treatment. And, I mean, I went out really bad. Uh, I did go to treatment, and I got out after I was out about probably a month, month and a half. Betty called me, and I left Miami and went back to Michigan, and nobody but God knew where I was. And I was 16 miles from my family in Michigan, in Southie. And um, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get a call from Betty. And Betty called my mother in my father's house and said, Pink, she said, Angela wants you to come and do this show. And I said, are you serious? I get to <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, 
I can always get choked up and I talk about that guy, man. I don't know why. But he, you know, he, uh, they, they asked me to, they told me they were sending me tickets. They wanted me to come to do the show. And it was in March and the show was going to be, the, 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 the um, press conference was going to be in uh, April. And he had Ali, he had Ernie Shavers, he had Jimmy Ellis, he had Willie Pelt, and he had Willie Pastrano. And they invited me to come out. And we all got together and stuff. And the next thing you know, I mean, and that's that's what really got me straight, man. When he hit me on the head and made me, like, you know, just told me they didn't want to have nothing else to do with me. And I went to treatment, and I dealt with it. And I, you know, I smoked, I drank, I did everything until I got out of, I made a vow to myself that once I left that treatment center, I wasn't going to smoke another cigarette, and I wasn't going to use another drug, and I wasn't going to drink again. 